Good morning to you. It is a pleasure to be here. We have been looking forward to uh, seeing each of you once again for a while, ever since this meeting was scheduled. Uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, fond memories and feelings for all of you for the time that we have spent here in the past, and certainly I look forward to this great week together. Um, if you've not met my family, I do have my family with me, my wife Leah. We have three children now. I think last time that we were here, we had one. Uh, so we've tripled children. Uh, so two boys, Eli's our oldest, he's nine. Logan's our second born, he's four. And then we've got the baby, Ivy, uh, who is nine months old. And then I've also got my nephew, Ashton, traveling with us a little bit this summer. So he's with us this week. So I uh, look forward to spending some time with each of you this week, um, getting to know you if we've not met you, and uh, of course, rekindling some of the friendships uh, that we have here. So this morning, we are going to study a topic out of Matthew, the 13th chapter, Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46, this is a parable that Jesus tells, and it's a very simple parable, but it's a parable about the pearl of great price. And now many years ago, uh, Truman Teal had had an amazing sermon that he preached on this topic, and so I want you to know right off the bat, I'm not trying to be Brother Truman, he did a fantastic job with this, but the elders at home had us walking through the parables of Jesus, and this is the one that, that I ended up assigned with. And, and so I put a study together on it really for two verses. It is really power-packed with, I think, some application that we can make to our lives. So I just want to share some things with you from that this morning. In Matthew, the 13th chapter, 45 and 46, Jesus says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, as we think about this parable, I want to set the stage a little bit. Jesus is teaching multitudes here, a great multitude of people at the Sea of Tiberias. And he's standing on a boat. The crowd is on the shore. They're listening to him teach. He taught the parable of the sower, the parable of the tares, the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. And then he went inside and he began to explain the meaning of some of these parables to his disciples. After describing the judgment day through the parable of the tares, he proceeds to talk about the parable of the hidden treasure, which comes directly before this one, and then the pearl of great price. And now when people generally view this this parable, there's kind of two definitions that they would draw and ways that they look at this. One is that they look at this and they say, God is the merchant man who thought we were so valuable that he gave his son, he sold everything that he had, so to speak, gave everything to save us. That's one kind of application that can be drawn from that. Certainly nothing wrong with that. I think that's a beautiful picture. But I actually want to want to go a different direction. And that is that we are the merchant man. And that as we travel through life, we are searching for something. And we are all searching for something. We're all searching for joy, for satisfaction, for contentment, for success, whatever those things are. We are all looking for something to get out of this life. And when this merchant man found this one pearl of great price, of exceeding value, he knew its value and he went and sold everything that he had in order to obtain it. So I want us to think in terms of what are we willing to sell all for? What is the most important thing in our life? Now, as we think about pearls, I want to read you a quote from Pliny the Elder, who was a Roman historian uh, back in the first, second century. In his natural history, he said this about pearls. The first place and the topmost rank among all things of price is held by pearls. Their whole value lies in their brilliance, size, roundness, smoothness, and weight. Now we think about pearls today, pearl necklaces and such, and they're very, they're very nice, they're very valuable today, but back in the time in which Jesus talked about this pearl of great price, pearls were considered one of the most valuable possessions a person could have. The wealthy paid a premium to obtain these pearls. They were symbols of wealth 
and power. And so when Jesus began speaking about pearls, immediately what would have come into their minds was something of higher value than even when we mention pearls today. And so I just want us to recognize that. Now, part of the reason why these pearls were so prestigious was because of the dangerous ways in which they were obtained. Now, these pearls back in Jesus's day were primarily gathered from the Persian Gulf region and the Red Sea. And these pearl divers would go out on a boat and then they would hold on to a a rock or something very heavy and a rope with a basket on it. And they would jump off of this boat and that, that rock would allow them to sink very, very quickly to the bottom of that sea where they would find those oysters. And then they would put as many oysters as they could into that basket and they'd yank on the rope and the people up on the boat would then begin to pull the boat or pull the rope and that basket full of oysters up and that pearl diver would drop that rock and he'd, he'd go up as soon as he could to try to catch his breath. They were down there for two or three minutes at a time. And so very, very dangerous. Many people died trying to dive and find these oysters with these pearls. Of course, they would open the oysters up and some of them would contain these pearls. Those that were found would then be traded. Traders would go on these paths and they would sell them to the wealthy across the known world. Now, the quality of a pearl depended on, as Pliny the Elder said, its size, its roundness, its weight, its smoothness, and its brilliance. All pearls were considered extremely valuable. But when Jesus uses the phrase, a pearl of great price, something that is far and away above more exceeding value than a normal pearl, which already was extremely valuable to these people, the disciples that were listening to him would have immediately realized that he was talking about something one of a kind, absolutely unique, something very, very special. And this is the value that Jesus is applying to the kingdom of heaven in this parable. That this merchant man, he found this pearl, he sold all that he had in order to obtain it. And that we are the merchant man. And as we're seeking things in life, when we come upon Christ, we come upon salvation, we come upon the church of Christ, that we ought to recognize it for its uniqueness, for its value, for its one-of-a-kind exceeding value, and be willing to give up anything else in our life that's stopping us from being a part of it. So this man was seeking, he recognized its value, and he sold everything. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning in relation to our relationship with Christ and the kingdom of heaven. So I want to ask you this morning, what is the most important thing in your life? You know, I ask this question many times, people answer family. Family is the most important thing. You know, family is great. I care about each of you, love each of you, but my favorite people in this world are sitting on that pew right over there. And my nephew Ashton is also over there. I'm just kidding, Ashton. You're one of my favorites too. But my favorite people are right there. You know why? They're my family. I love them. We just spent about three days uh, having a Branson vacation before my sister got married over in, uh, in North Arkansas. And had an amazing time. Went to Silver Dollar City. Saw the kids enjoy rides. Fantastic time. Love time with family. Family is awesome. And I hope that family is important to you. But is family really the most important thing? Should it be absolutely number one in your life? You know, sometimes there's a conflict between family and church. In fact, there are some people that want to become Christians and their families are a different religion or their families are very not religious. Their families don't understand why the person would want to convert to Christianity. And so their family stands in their way. And there are people that have to make a choice to walk away from family in order to join the church. And that's a very hard decision to make. But that decision is one where we have to put up in our minds what's more important. Is Christ more important or is family? Family's amazing. Family is important. But do we make the choice to side with family over the church or over Christ? 
Let's put it into a way that maybe more of us, or it's applicable to more of us as we think about things that we do with our family and the parties that we go to and the baseball games that we make and the band concerts and the choir practices and the theater performances and all the things that we have our kids involved in. But we're too busy to then make the church fellowship. We're too busy to make the Wednesday night service. We're too busy to do the things that the church is involved in because we are all about family. Family's amazing. Love family. But is family the most important thing? Should it be? Should it be number one? And I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to put the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God first, even above your family? Ask this question. Sometimes people say, my job. My job is the most important thing to me because without my job, I can't provide a living for my family. My job is what allows me to do that, to provide, to have the life that we want to live. My job is the most important thing. Without that, we'd be in a lot of trouble. You know, jobs are very important. The Bible talks about a good work ethic and working hard and providing for your family. And certainly that's important. We need to have jobs. We need to be working. We need to be providing. All of those things are great and fantastic. But there may come a time in your life where you have to make a decision to prioritize either the job or the kingdom of heaven. And my question to you this morning is what's really number one? You know, sometimes people get the opportunity to get a promotion or a great raise, but they've got to move out somewhere where there's not a church family anywhere close. Hard decision. Do you take it or not? It's better as far as the provider goes. You're making more money. Better job. Maybe you'll enjoy a little bit more. But what's the church situation? What's it going to do to your spiritual life? Is it going to hinder or hurt your relationship with God? Those are questions that we must ask ourselves and must answer sometimes in these difficult times. There are situations where we're working jobs and it can't be helped that sometimes, you know, maybe we miss a service here or there because of an emergency at the job or whatever. I'm not saying that it's wrong to, to, for that to ever happen. But sometimes people get in a bad habit of allowing work to take over and saying, well, it's just once a month they're asking me to come in on Sundays. And then it's twice a month. Every other week they're asking me to come in and well, I really need the job. It's a great job. Pays really well. And now they're asking me to come in every Sunday. Well, I mean, I can take communion at home when I get home. And we start justifying in our minds reasons why it's okay to prioritize the job over church and over Christ. And I want to encourage you to ask yourself this morning, what's really number one? Is your job most important or is Christ? You know, sometimes people answer this question, they say health. Without my health, I have nothing. Without my health, I can't work a job. Without my health, I can't enjoy time with family. So everything else is dependent upon the health that I have. But what happens when a person contracts cancer or other diseases that debilitate them or hurt them or cause them chronic pain? What happens when depression and anger set in because of a lack of good health, because of the things that happen. And then people begin to blame God and get bitter at God because their health isn't there and they don't have the health that they want. And when we prioritize health and put that on a pedestal and say that's the most important thing, then we are opening ourselves up for the attack of Satan and an opportunity to blame God when things don't go right. Health is great. Health is important. I do want to encourage you to take care of yourselves as much as you can, but there's some things we can't control. There's diseases and things that we can, we have no control over that. What we need to be doing is to prioritize Christ. And when we do that, we realize that health or no health, living a full, fantastic, pain-free life or living a life full of chronic pain for a faithful Christian leads to the same eternal destination, the same eternal reward. And that's what's more important. So is health number one or is Christ? You know, some people say financial security. I've got to have my retirement plan just in place. I've got to build up a big enough nest egg. I've got to have enough money in the bank. I've got to have enough possessions, whatever the case may be. I've got to be financially secure, and that's the most important thing to me. Then I can relax. I can be satisfied. I can be content with life. Talking about wealth, thinking about wealth, making plans surrounding wealth. If you check your account balances more than you open your Bible, check yourself. What's more important? 
Is it wrong to be financially secure? No. Is it wrong to plan? No. The Bible talks about being diligent and planning ahead and saving, and all of those things are important financial concepts that are biblical concepts. But is that the number one thing in your life? Because I'll tell you what, if it is, and something goes wrong, and you lose everything, then your faith can be shot, and you can suddenly lose faith in God, because really you've placed your faith in wealth, not in God. But if you place your faith in God, and you remember that the kingdom of heaven is the most important then when those things happen and maybe we lose wealth or suddenly we're strapped with a bunch of medical bills that we've got to pay and our savings go down to zero, we're not panicking because we remember ultimately we're not living for this life, we're living for the next. What's more important to you, financial security or the kingdom of heaven? What about social causes and pet issues? You know, think about some of these. Every, all of us have them. All of us have opinions. All of us have thoughts about things. Uh, there's, there's different debates that we can have about all sorts of stuff. I mean, and, and COVID the last two years brought in a lot of that. Mask or no mask? Uh, what are we going to do about church services? All these congregations doing different things in relation to COVID. Vax or no vax? Are you homeschooling your kids? Or are you public schooling your kids? Um, you know, are, is, as a mom, are you working outside the home? Are you staying home with the kids? There's a million things we can, we can talk about and debate about and get on this, this soapbox about whatever our opinion is on any of those issues. And sometimes we allow those things to get out of balance. And we allow those things to become the most important things in our life where we spend more time talking to other people about our particular cause or our particular issue or our particular opinion about something than we do about the gospel of Christ, than we do about good biblical truth. We spend more time posting on social media about these issues than we do anything spiritual or good or uplifting. And we can even develop a reputation at times and become known for that particular cause. And so I wanna ask you this question this morning. What is the first thing that the people who know you think when they hear your name? What is the first association that they make with you? My prayer is that for every single one of us in this building, that that first association is Christ, is Christian, is good, good person, good church member, good Christian, whatever that, that phraseology may be. And that it's not, oh, that's the person that believes really strongly we should, whatever the political issue is, whatever the social issue is. If that's our first association, we're spending way too much time prioritizing social issues and pet causes. So I ask you this morning, what's the most important thing for you? What do people think about you when they hear your name? Politics. Are you constantly worried about the elections, the country, the news? All of us are to some degree, right? We live here. We recognize that we're impacted by decisions that are made in government. It's certainly not wrong to be concerned about that and to be involved in that and trying to teach good things and encourage good things in our government and in our country. But if we're living for that and for politics and we're always seeing through the eyes of Republican or Democrat, we see everything through a red or blue lens. We see everything through what it means politically. We're spending too much time prioritizing that and not prioritizing the gospel and Christianity and the church. What we should see every issue and every discussion, every question through is the lens of God's word and biblical truth. And if that lands you with one particular party or the other, so be it. But the decision should not be red or blue. The lens that you view life through should not be red or blue. It should be biblical truth. And that should be number one. We ask this question sometimes and it's entertainment. People want to live for the now. They want to feel good. They want to enjoy life. It's the YOLO mentality. You only live once, so let's live it up. And some people live their life with that kind of perspective. Whatever you feel, give in to your passions. It'll all be good. Whatever you feel is right and all of us are different. We all have our own truth and all of that. So do what you want to do. Get drunk, get high, it's fine. 
Some people live that kind of life. Life is all about feeling good and making your body feel good. Unfortunately, this lie will damage and destroy your Christianity, your family, and your life overall. And it can happen slowly without you even realizing it until it becomes a big monster in the room that you didn't expect to be there and it's taken over and it's destroying you and everything about you. Being a Christian necessitates sacrificing sinful pleasures. Now, does that mean in all entertainment is bad? No. Does that mean all pleasure is bad? No. Get all sorts of entertainment and pleasure from being with my family and doing good godly things and being with church people and meetings like this that we're having this week can be very pleasurable and a good time that we can have, fellowship with one another. All those things are amazing. And doing it in the right way, it's great. But allowing that to get out of balance and prioritizing pleasure and entertainment and those things will destroy us. So what's more important to you? Making yourself feel good or looking to, to do what makes God feel good? Some people answer education to this question. What's the most important thing? Education. Well, my, I've got I've to have good education. I've got to send my kids to the very, very best schools. I've got to focus on that, prioritize that. Is it wrong to go to a great school? No. I'm a fan of education. I think education can help. It can help you to get a degree that pays a good, a good wage and a good job, all those sorts of things. But to me, that's the point of education. The point of education is not to prioritize that and to become in some higher social class that you have some higher status that you can be proud of and all of us can be like, oh wow, they're so great. That's not the point of education. The point of education is to get a good job that can pay well, that can help you to provide, that you can learn a skill, a trade, a, a job that will help you in life. Education's great. Is life all about education? No. Is it more important that your children go to that Ivy League school or that they're here in church when the church doors are open? What's more important? We can balance all of these things and do it fine and do it appropriately. But if we allow the kingdom of heaven to take a back seat to education, we're making a mistake. If we praise knowledge and intelligence and letters after a name more than we do character and integrity, we're making a mistake, especially when it comes to our children. Matthew 16 and verse 24, Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In verse 24 of Matthew 6, he said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon there is essentially money, the God of money. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou will be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Matthew 6, says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, we find in Scripture that Jesus talks a lot about this concept of priorities and balance and what's the most important thing for us. There's a lot of things that are kind of backwards in Scripture. I don't know if you've noticed that, but the first shall be last, the last shall be first, right? It's, it's contrary to what we would naturally think about things. And this is one of those. The people that prioritize money or prioritize health or prioritize whatever it is, the family, the job, the possessions, all of those things, the politics, they may even think that in doing that, they're doing some good thing and it's gonna lead them to the, some good opportunity to help people or whatever. They may have good intentions. But what they don't realize is that when they do that, they're hurting themselves. And if they will instead prioritize God and the kingdom of heaven first, then all of those other things will work out. And they'll have opportunities to influence and impact people in other areas of life because people will trust them. 
because they will see the character and integrity that they are living with. And when you make a decision in your life to prioritize the kingdom of heaven and to say, I'm gonna make it the number one thing in my life, more important than anything else, I'm gonna be like that merchant man who found that pearl of great price and said, I'm selling everything else so I can obtain this one pearl because I recognize its value. I recognize it's more important than anything else that I have. And if you'll do that with the kingdom of heaven, with the kingdom of Christ, then you'll have an opportunity to have all of those other things taken care of. But more importantly than that, as you go throughout this temporal, physical life, you'll be able to have a perspective that goes beyond, a perspective that's spiritual, a perspective that allows you to recognize that no matter what happens in this life, good or bad, you've got an amazing blessing waiting for you in heaven. And that's more important than anything that we could obtain here. And so for a few more minutes this morning, I wanna talk to you about some reasons why I believe that the kingdom of heaven should be the pearl of great price for you. First of all, I believe it begins and ends here with salvation. Through the kingdom of heaven, we are allowed to have salvation from our sins. Christ will wash those sins away. We are made a new creature and given new life. And this value cannot be properly measured. I mean, there's nothing else in this world that can be compared to the life that we have for eternity through God and through Christ. You know, for ages, men have asked the question, why are we here? What is the purpose of life? But I'll tell you what the purpose of life is. It's to glorify God in everything that we do. It's to love others just as God has loved us. We are here to share a message of salvation with the world because we recognize that God has already saved us through Christ. And if it is the most important thing in our life, then it will be that important for us to share with others and to make our goal in life here. Ultimately, our responsibility, the reason we're here is to live that type of God-centered life and then transition into eternity where we will meet past loved ones who are also faithful to Christ, where we will dwell in heaven with God, with Jesus, with the Spirit for forever. That's God's plan for us, what he wants for us. That's what every single person in this world has the opportunity to do. And that is the biggest blessing that we can achieve through making the kingdom of heaven our pearl of great price. But there's others as well. I believe that one of the great blessings that we get from from making Jesus and Christ and the church our number one is the moral standard that comes with that. That moral standard equals health, success, and a better life. And I want to explain what I mean by that. You know, some people think about a moral standard and they say, doesn't that mean like a list of things I can't do? I mean, isn't that restrictive? And that doesn't sound very much fun. Doesn't sound like much of a blessing if it's a big list of things that I can't do. But I want us to think about it not as a list of things we can't do, but more as a guidebook for life, a life hack, so to speak, the ultimate life hack for how to live a great, successful, happy, healthier life. Now, what I'm preaching now is not a prosperity gospel. That's not my point. I'm not saying that you won't have any challenges in life. But what I am saying is that when you follow the moral standard given in the scriptures, your life will quantifiably become better. And I want to tell you how that that is. Over 61 million abortions have taken place in the United States since 1973, according to the Guttmacher Institute. Now, I believe that abortion is one of the great tragedies of our society. 61 million people have lost their lives because of choice, because of a devaluation of life. There would be 61 million more people alive today and then plus some because of children and that sort of thing had it not been for someone and some group of people choosing to disobey the standard listed in the Bible 
that values life from conception. Now, we can't control the world, and we unfortunately can't stop that from happening, but we can control our small world and our circle of influence, and we can make a difference where we are. But I want us to recognize that if the entire world were following the moral standard of the scripture, 61 million people wouldn't have died as a result of choice. There are more than 30 sexually transmitted diseases, including bacteria, viruses, and parasites, according to the World Health Organization. All of these are the result of deviating sexually from the moral standard presented in Scripture. Over 75 million people have been infected by one particular virus, which is HIV, and over 32 million people have died as a result. Now, we recognize in this with, with blood transfusions and other things, there's ways that this can be contracted that doesn't necessarily uh, mean it was sexually immoral that, that reason that caused it. But for the most part, these 32 million people that have died and 72 million people that have suffered from this would not be suffering and would not have died if the entire world followed the biblical standard of the Bible. Does that logic make sense? If we follow the, the moral code in God's word, and if everyone followed that, there would be no deviation from that. And therefore, there would be no transmission of all of these terrible diseases and viruses that cause suffering and death. So in large part, some of these sicknesses and diseases and things that we could talk about are a result of sin and of brokenness. And if that standard of the scripture were followed, it wouldn't have happened. So here's my point. We can't change that, but we can change us and we can change our small world. And if we follow the moral standard of the Bible, if we make that a priority and we see that for the blessing that it is, then we will quantifiably avoid some of the risks and the dangers that come from living an immoral lifestyle. The biblical standard of morality would effectively eliminate violence, domestic abuse, child abuse, sexual abuse, pornography, racism, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and most, if not all, free will-based societal problems. Now, I'm not gonna say that every single problem you can ever encounter in life is the result of, of your free will choice, because certainly it's not. There are things that happen to us that are out of our control. But in large part, on a grand scale, if all of society followed the biblical standard, think about what the world would look like. Think about all of the problems that are, that are talked about today and all of the issues that, that there are in the world that exist that would disappear in a moment if all of us everywhere for all time had been following that moral code. So my point is this, brothers and sisters, it's not just a restrictive list that the Bible talks about of things you can't do where God's just trying to steal your fun. That's not the point. God's trying to give you a better life, a happier life, a more successful life, a healthier life, and a life where you can grow with your family in love and in care with one toward another, focused on eternity instead of focused on this life. One of the other blessings about the kingdom of heaven and the reason that I believe it should be the pearl of great price in your life is the family structure that's listed in it. One man, one woman in the bonds of marriage, often producing children as a result. That's the biblical standard. That's the family structure listed in the scriptures. And that creates strong marriages and better equipped kids. The wife is to respect and submit to her husband. The father is to lead the home and love the wife. Parents should be parenting well, seeking to raise godly, mature adults who love God and their fellow man. But this family structure has been under attack for years, and you know it in our society. We've seen it with all of the changes that have taken place. But I want to give you a couple of examples here. The U.S. divorce rate is about 50%. About half of marriages end in divorce. And the five top reasons for divorce are infidelity, money, communication, fighting, and abuse. 
And I want you to think about the fact that if husbands and wives are committed to being godly, to fulfilling their family roles, and they're both committed to that fully, we wouldn't have infidelity in marriage. We wouldn't have money problems too big. We wouldn't have communication issues that we couldn't resolve. We wouldn't have fighting, arguing, and abuse going on in homes if everyone in the family structure was 100% committed to doing it God's way. There are serious consequences when husbands and wives decide to follow their own path instead of the path that God has laid out. Marriages break apart because of selfishness in, in either one or both parties. Families break apart and that has consequences for children. Many kids end up being raised in single parent homes, which has consequences for them moving forward. I want to share with you some of the consequences of growing up in a fatherless home, and this is a bit small, so I don't know if you can read that, but that top uh, phrase there says there's a crisis in America. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, more than one in four, live without a father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all of the societal ills facing America today. Research shows that when a child is raised in a father-absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways. That child raised in a father-absent home is four times uh, more likely to be raised in poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager, and more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, they have double the risk of infant mortality. They're more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison. Uh, they're two times more likely to suffer from obesity, more likely to commit crime, and two times more likely to drop out of high school. And all of these are the result of growing up in a home without a father. And notice these are not Christian homes. This is just society at large. And yet what we find is that when we apply the biblical standard of a godly father and a godly mother working together to raise godly children, we avoid these risks. And these aren't even the spiritual things. We're not even talking about spiritual life and church attendance and all those things that are important to us as Christians. We're just talking about basic stuff, basic societal stuff, graduating high school and living with morality and being successful, what we would consider successful in life. Children have a much greater chance of achieving those things when they're raised by a mother and a father together. And it's interesting to me that that's the biblical standard and has been for 2,000 years and longer, 2,000 years since Jesus was here, but of course longer as long as God and man has existed since Adam and Eve in the garden. That was the structure that he set in place. Man and woman together raising children. And yet when we go against that standard, we find problems. We find issues not only with husbands, with wives, with marriages, but with children and the effects that that can have. Now, we recognize there are tragic situations. Death happens and a single spouse is forced to raise children by themselves. One spouse becomes selfish and decides to go their own way, and the remaining spouse is left to raise children on their own. Those situations are real, and they happen, and they have to be dealt with. In other words, the single parent has to be strong and willing to step up and say, I'm gonna do my very best to do both jobs. Because in that situation, that's what God is calling you to do. But also, I want to encourage you in this. If you find yourself in that situation or you know someone in that situation, encourage them to trust in the church and to rely on the church. You have elders in this congregation. You have good godly men in this congregation that can be father figures to your children. If you, if you don't have or your kids don't have a father you know, we have situations at home. Every congregation does. Every place does. It's the realities of life. Situations at home where it's a single parent raising children. And it, 
it has to be intentional on behalf of some of the good godly men in the congregation to say, I'm going to try to spend some time and make sure that I can be there and, and be an influence and be an impact to help that child because they lack that in the home. The reverse might be true as well. It may be a dad raising children and the mom not being around. And we need good godly women in the church that are willing to step in and say, I can be a motherly influence here because I recognize the need. I recognize that a father influence and a mother influence is important. Both of those are very, very valuable to a child. And so I want to encourage you, no matter what situation you're in, and it's too late to erase past history, but starting today to recognize the importance of that family structure and do everything that you can to follow that structure as you're building your family and rely on the church to help you in that if you need that. And when you do that, you'll see success in your marriage and you'll see success with your children. Another reason I believe that the kingdom should be the pearl of great price for you is the community that we get through the church. And that's these people right here in this congregation. It's the community of believers that become your family, your spiritual family. When we struggle as we all do, when we have issues as we all do, we have people here that we can rely on, that we can lean on, that will give us a hug when we need a hug, that will be there when we need them. That's what church family is for. And not all of us are blessed with blood family or blood family that's in the church, or blood family that cares about the same things that we care about or prioritizes the same things that we prioritize. But you know you have a church family that does. And that's a tremendous blessing to making Christ and the church your number one is the friendship, love, and support that you get. You know, I like this chart. I don't know how well you can see that, but it's from Gallup. The green line there shows the number of positive emotions people have each day, depending on how much church they attend. All right, so on the left, we've got never attending church to seldom attending church, to attending about once a month, almost every week, or at least once a week. And I just find it interesting that a secular study has concluded that the more church attendance people have, the happier emotions they have through the day, the happier people that they are, the more positive emotions they feel and positive thoughts that they have. That blue line is just the opposite. It's negative emotions or negative thoughts. And as it goes from never attending church to seldom about once a month, almost every week, at least once a week, the number of negative emotions and negative thoughts comes down. So you know what we find quantifiably is that when you attend a church and you're around church people and you're worshiping together and you're fellowshipping together and you have that family feeling, guess what? You're happier and more content less negativity, more positivity. It improves your state of being. It improves your mental health to be here because you're around family. You're around people that love you and that care about you. I believe this morning that there is no better community that you can find anywhere than the community that you find in the church. I want to share with you real quickly a story that happened to us where this was illustrated very, very deeply. Back in 2013, I lost my mom in a car accident. We were living in Harlingen, Texas at the time, which was about six hours south of where my parents lived. And when I got that call, we hopped into our car and we, we drove north because we needed to be home with family. The problem with that was we were four days away from needing to move. We were, our lease was up and we were actually moving to the Houston area at that time. We had our apartment about a quarter of the way packed up, but it was not anywhere close. And we were supposed to like three days later, go pick up a moving truck, put boxes and do all that that weekend. And that all got shot, right? Because we're, we're headed north. We're not even there. So while we're going through all the preparation for the funeral and all of, all of those things and the hard days that, that those were, in the back of my mind, I knew I've got an apartment full of stuff down there. I don't know what I'm going to do. The lease is going to run out. 
I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I can't get down there before the lease runs out. My extra car is down there as well, all of our stuff, and it's not boxed up. It's just in the back of my mind as a worry. The North 7th Street congregation down there, they went to our apartment. They packed up all of our stuff. They canceled the payment on the moving truck that I had made in advance and paid for the moving truck, loaded everything up into that truck, got my extra car, and they drove all of our stuff and my extra car six hours north to Houston, handed me the keys, and said, you don't have to worry about it. It's done. Not only that, but they cleaned the apartment so we could get our deposit back. I mean, amazing, amazing people, amazing blessing. In one of the hardest times of my life, there was no better community to have than church family. The same thing is true for you and will be for you. So you wanna know why the kingdom of heaven should be the pearl of great price for you? That's one very, very good reason for the family that we all get to be a part of. And then finally, as we close this morning, I want you to know that one of the reasons that it should be the pearl of great price is because of the spiritual view that it gives you on life and the comfort and the contentment and the peace that you can live with. Contentment and peace are extremely important to us as Christians. We all want them. Being able to live those quiet and peaceable lives is a valuable blessing. Our spiritual view on life provides a view that, of death that's comforting. I can know that although every day I miss my mom being here, I can know that it's not goodbye. It wasn't goodbye nine years ago. See you later. And I'm gonna see her again. And my faith in God and in Christ, it gives me that, that hope, that confidence. And without that faith, without Christ being first in my life, without that being the priority and the way that I live my life with that view, I would have to live in sorrow and depression, believing that I would never see her again. Or my grandfather that recently, or my great-grandma from years ago, or many others that I've watched leave this life that I love and care about. Without that spiritual view of life, it's easy to see why people become sad and angry and depressed. But with the view of death and life and resurrection and eternity that the Bible provides, we can be comforted and we can find contentment to know that we're all traveling through this life, but if we're faithful to him, then we'll all find ourselves together again in that eternal destination. At the end of this story, our Christian life doesn't end at death. If we're Christians, we transition into a better life, an eternal life. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I want you to know this morning there's a lot of pearls in life. There's a lot of things that you can make as valuable and important. There's a lot of things you can prioritize. And you can say, I'm going to live my life for this. I'm going to live my life for family. I'm going to live my life for the job. I'm going to live my life for possessions of financial security. I'm going to live my life for health. I'm going to live my life for politics. I'm going to live my life for whatever those things are. There's a lot of pearls, a lot of things you can focus on, a lot of things you can prioritize, but none of those things are long lasting. None of them are as valuable as the kingdom of God. This verse tells us that God wants us to be rich but not rich in the way that we think, not rich in the way that first comes to our mind. He wants us to be rich eternally, to be rich spiritually. He wants us to have the greatest blessing of all that far and away exceeds any value that we could have in having millions in the bank or having the greatest long-lasting health and life or anything else that we prioritize. The greatest blessing of all is the richness that we find through salvation in Jesus Christ. And this morning, I wanna encourage you to prioritize that and make it your number one. And if you're here this morning and you are not that merchant person that has found that goodly pearl and has sold all that they had to obtain it, if you've not done that, you have an opportunity this morning to do it. You have an opportunity this morning to obey the gospel. 
to give your life to Jesus and to make him number one and to achieve all of those blessings that we've talked about. And if you want to do that this morning, we're here to help. If you're a member of this congregation or you're a member of the church and maybe you're struggling, maybe you realize some of the things that we've talked about this morning have been out of balance in your life and you've prioritized the wrong things. We want to help you, not only through prayer and restoration with your relationship with God, but also in the future to help walk you through some practical ways in which you can make the kingdom of God number one. So if we can help you in any way, we would ask that you come sit on the front pew as we stand and sing.